The reading today it comes from Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 to 20, John's vision of Christ. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, Denise and Nick. Excellent. It's uh, lovely to see you all this morning. Uh, uh, If you want the passage, it's page uh, 1,233 uh, in the Church Bibles. but as we uh, begin, uh, I just want you to, uh, to close your eyes and just uh, imagine Jesus. So just close your eyes and, and just think of Jesus. Now, when you do that, uh, what do you see? We've just had Christmas, so maybe you, uh, you see the, the nativity scene, the baby in the manger, Mary and Joseph, shepherds, kings, donkeys. Maybe you... Um, you can see Jesus on a, a seashore, uh, sort of you know, teaching people, telling others 
about his word. Maybe uh, you see kind of the man going through the roof and Jesus healing somebody. Uh, maybe you see him with his disciples breaking bread at communion. Or, or perhaps, like me often, you, you, you see Easter, you see the cross. Uh, you see him uh, on the cross or, or in the tomb. You can open your eyes again now. Um, Whatever it was, it it would be a a really good thing. But often our our view of Jesus is usually based around those 30 or so years of his earthly ministry. What's he like now? What's he like now? And as we come to Revelation, what we're doing is we're drawing open the curtain a little bit. We're not changing Jesus. Actually, we're getting a glimpse of what he always has been. This this superior vision of the Lord, the King, the one who is, who was and is to come. We're opening up the curtain. And I wonder then... If you've heard that phrase, you know, having a a foot in two camps. Um, There's this guy, um, Steve Lansdowne. Uh, He is uh, somebody who's got feet in multiple camps. In fact, he's the the major shareholder of uh, Bristol Flyers, the basketball team, Bristol Bears, the rugby team, and Bristol City Football Club. He has his three feet in in, uh, three different sports. He has a, a foot in each camp, you might say. Different things of what's going on. Well, uh, for the Christian, uh, we have our feet in two different camps. Uh, we have our, our foot in our, uh, the world that we experience on the one hand, uh, but we also have a foot in the reality of Jesus' reign. Uh, we have a foot in two camps. Uh, and Revelation uh, 1 is seeking to draw back the curtain so that we can see this camp, the reality of Jesus' reign, all the more clearly. And that's what Revelation 1 is going to be helping us to do uh, this morning. So that in mind, uh, let's pray uh, as we start. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for your word. Uh, We thank you that it's good. We thank you that it draws back the curtain uh, upon uh, reality to see how things really are. And we pray this morning, however we may be feeling, Uh, Whatever situations we're going through, uh, you may help us to see the reality of Jesus and how that helps us today. Amen. Um, John, who who wrote Revelation, it's interesting how he introduces himself there in verse 9. He doesn't say, oh, I, John the Apostle. He doesn't say, oh, I, John the Apostle the one who was with Jesus at the Transfiguration. Uh, He he says, I, John, your brother and companion. I, John, the the one who's just like you, who's with you. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering, in the kingdom, and, verse 9 again, the patient endurance that is ours in Jesus. Uh, John's saying, look, I'm just like you. I'm with you. Uh, I'm I'm an ordinary Christian. And what, of course, he's doing there is saying, well, sort of normal Christian life is to experience these things. Normal Christian life is to know suffering. It is to be those who are 
patiently waiting, patiently enduring for the hope in Christ. Uh, That's kind of uh, one of our feet, our lived out experience. Uh, And we need to know that. So we need to know that Open Doors tell us uh, that one in seven Christians experience a severe form of persecution. Life-changing, life-threatening persecution. Today, that's 360-odd million. We need to know that. Uh, We need to know uh, that that sort of our normal lived out pattern, the sort of the world that we experience, will be that being a Christian, your life will be harder. Because of our faith, our life will be harder. We will be those that will need patient endurance. That is where one of our feet is placed. That's normal Christian life doesn't always feel like that to our little bubble here and now and like other parts of the world. But that's normal life. And it's into that context that John is given this vision. Verse 10. On the Lord's Day, as Nick said, a Sunday, the first day, Sunday is called the Lord's Day. Uh, I, I was in the Spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. This sort of absolute crystal clear call. And it said, verse 11, write this down, write it on a scroll, what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Send it because, John, this vision is not just for you. It's not just for your own benefit and building up. It's for the churches. It's for these seven churches. And as Nick mentioned last week, when we read seven in Revelation, it's a picture of completeness or of perfection. So really, uh, Jesus saying to John, this vision is for not just seven churches, but for the church, for everyone. And then when we look at the seven churches, you, you see that actually you see two things. One is that uh, these are the kind of the main, again, as Nick said, that the postal regions, so kind of logistically, uh, sending a letter to these seven churches would mean you could quite well and easily send it off to other churches in the area. Uh, but also, actually, the way that they're listed in that order is the order you would go on a trip. If you were taking it round, that's the order you'd go in. So if you say going up and then back down again. Now, this is a, a letter that's meant to go out to be meant to be heard, meant to be seen. As a little aside, whenever you see maps and things, if you grab a little Bible, go Bible like this, you have maps in the back of the Bible, even there, that show you these things. You don't need to Google it, even your Bibles, you have them. Um, this is a, a vision that's meant to go out. Uh, and what does he see? Well, uh, verse 12, I turned around to see the voice I was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now straight away, uh, remember that Revelation is jam-packed full of Old Testament imagery. Uh, as soon as the, the readers heard this lampstand, their minds would go straight away to the tabernacle. You could read about it in Exodus 25, or to the temple, uh, 1 Kings 7. Uh, they'd be thinking, oh, oh, lampstands, they were in the tabernacle and temple. They were down the sides. Uh, this imagery is, is almost standing a bit like a tabernacle or a temple. 
But actually also, it's interesting that, that Jesus chooses to use that image of, verse 20, the church. The seven lampstands are the seven churches. When he sees these lampstands, he's seeing a picture of the church. Jesus chooses to identify a lampstand with the church. He chooses to identify something which is designed by its very definition to bring light into darkness, to equate that to the church. It's worth pondering, isn't it? Why has Jesus done that? Why has he said a church is something that ought to bring light? The, 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 the innate to who the church is, is something about bringing light. It's worth pondering to think, is that what our church is like? The church in this country is like? We haven't got time to ponder for long, but it's worth pausing, isn't it, and considering that picture. But we, we've got to press on. So he has the, verse 12, the seven golden lampstands, and then verse 13, among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Son of man. Daniel 7, verses 13 to 14, page 893 in your Bibles are on the screens, uh, to the sides. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. What John sees when he sees this image of the the golden lampstands, this, this son of man character. He sees, firstly, a person. It, it isn't kind of some creature or animal or, or force. It's a person. But not an ordinary person. Uh, it's somebody that has authority and power. Uh, it's somebody uh, who the nations came to. So can you see that, that actually that that the Son of Man was such a loaded term that the, that the Jews were so bound up with this is what the Messiah will be like that when they came to see Jesus in his earthly ministry and he, he said, here I am, the Son of Man, they're like, it, doesn't, it, it just doesn't, com- doesn't compute, it doesn't work. Which is why they struggled with that image. But what John is getting here is the curtain being pulled back. Jesus always was this character, that's always who he was. But now John's being allowed to see that more clearly. He's able to see that Jesus is the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Uh, And then uh, John records this this imagery, this sort of uh, buffet of Old Testament imagery, or perhaps better, uh, a layer cake of Old Testament imagery. Uh, All of these references in verses 13 to 16 are are from the Old Testament, primarily taken from Daniel 10 and Ezekiel 1. And it's just layering upon layer uh, all of these ideas about who the Son of Man will be like and will be. It's meant to be an an overwhelming image. It's meant to be the 
the vista that you can't take in. It's meant to be going up to Devil's Dyke, looking round and saying, I, I just can't quite fathom it all. You probably know that I like putting pictures on the screen. And it's really hard to find one. Like you Google this to find a good image, and you either get ones that are just really naff and awful, or you get ones that just don't quite take it in. There is no easy representation. Say, oh, look, this is what it was like. It's meant to be an overwhelming image. Annalise Clark has done a triptych of the whole book of Revelation. It's really helpful. Uh, have a look at it as well, and there's some talks and things that can go with it too. But, but it's just so hard to say, this is what it was like. It, it's just meant to be an overwhelming picture. And so, what was it like? Well, verse 13. Halfway through. Um, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a, a golden sash around his chest. That idea, that picture of a of a high priest. That's the image. A high priest. The long flowing robe, the golden sash. The high priest who's completely pure. Who's utterly uh, pure in his whole outlook. There's not a speck of wrong, near or on him. Verse 14. The hair on his head was like wool, as white as snow. This picture of wisdom, that's the long flowing wise hair. The one who, who always knows what is right. Who always does what is right. Verse 14 again. And eyes were like burning, blazing fire. Eyes that, that as they gaze upon John, don't simply gaze upon John, but gaze into John. Eyes that that sort of see everything as it really is. Eyes that see down to the bottom of our hearts. Eyes that know what really is happening. 15. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Feet that are never going to rust. Feet that are never going to be moved. Feet that are firm and steadfast. Feet that even may be ready for battle. Verse 15, his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. We've we've heard the trumpet already. That voice that is clear, the voice that is uh, firm, the, the voice that is authoritative. There is no doubt what he is saying. And at his word, it will happen. Verse 16, in his right hand, he held the seven stars. A right hand, the hand that you held things that are, that are precious to you. And in that, he holds the seven stars. At verse 20, we're told, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now, now it's a bit, not entirely sure what that means. But what we can say is this. In his right hand, in the hand that's precious to him, he holds in its entirety, not in part, in its entirety, the church on earth and in heaven. All heavenly hosts. He, he hold, held, holds it. 
firm, not letting go. Verse 16 again. Out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His words bring comfort and judgment. Uh, His words uh, will bring a comfort to some and a judgment for others. Verse 16. His face was like the sun shining in its brilliance, just like when Moses encountered the back of the Lord in Exodus 33, just like when John himself saw the Lord Jesus transfigured. (coughs) He was a brilliant bright. This is a a vision, the the whole picture, which is we're unable to comprehend. This, This priest with wisdom, with insight, with power, with authority, with a a brilliance beyond this world. Jesus wants John and therefore wants the church to have a bigger vision, a a bigger perception to know that, that there is no person, position or authority that is greater than this, not even the Roman Empire, Emperor. Nobody is bigger than this king. And as John sees this, Verse 17, he does the most natural thing. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Just like when everybody in the Bible encounters God's glory, they fall down, and so so does John, and so wouldn't you and I. But then the most amazing words come next. Verse 17b, the second part of verse 17. <clears throat> then, this, this son of man figure, the one of all authority and power, then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Jesus does what he always does. He comes and says, do not be afraid. He reaches down to the the deepest and the darkest and says, do not be afraid. When we read the book of Revelation, there may be some bits that, that seem scary. But the message is clear. Do not be afraid. And here are two reasons why. Uh, the first is, it's something that we sort of glossed over in, in verse 13. Among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Not above them, not, not pondering them, but among the lampstands. Uh, remember, uh, we said the lampstands draws up that imagery of the, the tabernacle and the temple. And you might know that there's that picture of God dwelling in the tabernacle and temple. That's where his presence lay. And now, that same picture, Jesus is saying, God's presence is no longer in a building like a tabernacle or a temple. No, God is in his church. God is here. He's in his people, not the building, but the people. His imperfect, always making the same mistakes, his usually cold-hearted, sometimes embarrassed people. 
He's there. He's with us. Over the coming weeks, we're going to push on to read these letters to the churches. And as we read them, we're going to hear about some of their mistakes. But it's amongst those churches that God is in the midst. Jesus is in the midst of. So because of that, don't be afraid. He's not looking at you from afar going, what have you done? He's in and amongst us saying, don't be afraid. But secondly, the second reason is verses 17 end of 17 and 18. He says, do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is the the first. He's the one who is present in creation. He's the last. He's the, the Lord of eternity. But he's also sovereign over everything else in between. Today. Today. Because he's the one who, who was dead, but is alive. And not just alive to kind of, uh, sort of a temporary life again. No, he's alive, as it says, forever and ever. But more than that... He himself holds the keys, holds the keys of life and death. That means that that no one goes through the veil of death without Jesus opening the door. It means that as for John himself, on the island of Patmos, an island that, that people would have known, like saying, oh, he's on the island of Alcatraz, on the under Patmos, in a, a work camp, not knowing what his future held, he knows that Jesus holds the keys. He's in his hands. That those who are reading this letter, the early church, who some of which would be made human torches in the Colosseums in the Roman Empire, are the ones who are in the, Jesus' hands. He has the keys. So it does mean what you're thinking. That nobody dies at the wrong time. And it might be that you want to rage against that. And it's okay. That's okay to rage against it. To think, Lord, why? I don't get it. That's not fair. But can you see that actually in our raging, we're raging to God? It's the first step of faith. Because we're not saying it's just pure, unblinded chance, it's just bad luck. No, we're, we're saying to Lord, I don't get it. But in those moments, lean into him. In those moments of raging, lean into him. And then he will put his right hand and say, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Do not be afraid. So what does this mean? Well, we need to draw to a close, but we need to live life with our our feet in both camps. We need to live life... um, 
in our, our lived experience, in our reality, in our day-to-day, today. But we also need to have a foot in that reality. In seeing Jesus and his reign and his rule. Uh, most of our problems come, I think, because we basically forget this side and we just concentrate on here. Uh, our comfort becomes our hope, therefore I've got to hold on to it, because that's all I've got. And our sufferings are not viewed in light of eternity, so they destroy me. But Jesus is saying, look, no, have a feet in both counts. Yes, live your experience. Let, yes, have that, but bring it to the experience of knowing Jesus as king. Uh, bring it to this experience. Bring it to, to pulling back that curtain, to seeing the reality. To live in both camps. And how can we do that? Well, here's the, um, the silver bullets that you've been waiting for for so long. Use the things that God has given you. His words. Use his word. Use the Bible, the, the words that, that speak the word to us, the words that help us to draw back the curtain. Uh, the words that, that speak to us in every circumstance of life. Uh, use his word on your own, together, in a group, as a church. Let his word illuminate our life. Uh, use his spirit. Uh, the one that, that, that reminds us, that reassures us, that tells us, that helps us. The one that helps us to pray on our own, as a group. Use the things God's given you. His words, his spirit, and lastly, his people. Each other to be reminded that we're not alone. That we're, that we're not just living this random life on our own, kind of trying to wander around, but no, we have a foot in this camp and we together, as a corporate whole, as we said in the creed, have a foot in this camp, we are together. We need each other to be pushed on. To live life as it really is. And to keep going. So I pray that God will fill your head and your heart with a greater vision of him today. Amen.